Hello, this is Tom Stever with Soil Smart, a podcast from the Soil Health Partnership. In our podcasts, we're talking soil health, why it matters, the ag practices that foster it, and the farmers who live it. Today, we're talking to Brian Martin, a row crop, small grain, and cow-calf producer from Centralia, Missouri. We talk about his experiences with cover crops, how they're managed, and what benefits they provide. So we've kind of got two different goals in our operation. Our focus, or the way we put on cover crops uh, in areas for the cow-calf side of the farm, are very different than what we focus on on the row crop side. So we have a variety of, of different options to use and utilize, but primarily on, on ground that rolls and, and has some potential for erosion, it's erosion control, and eventually trying to build organic matter and improve soil structure. How does it mesh with your uh, cattle operation? Specifically, for a perfect example, in this year, in past growing season in 2018, when uh, we were dealing with limited grass and very reduced hay production, it was a lifesaver. We actually wet-wrapped a lot of uh, cereal rye and then followed that up with another forage type. It can provide a year-round grazing solution when, when there's no other options. Discussing the current challenges of cover crop chemical control, how do you approach that? A lot of our uh, our row crop side, our strictly row crop, is a lot of no-till and continuous no-till. In the past, before adoption of cover crop, your chemical program is very, very important when you don't potentially use tillage as an option. So incorporating cover crops then into that type of situation, you need to worry about what your burn-down program is going to be and then potential residual carryover from a, a late post application. What are some of the effects then of herbicide carryover on cover crops? It's not so much usually a problem of grass-based cover crops or grass plant types. It's more of an issue in establishment of legumes or brassicas. What are the chemical considerations that you can account for when spraying corn and soybeans? A good example in this past year that uh, we kind of learned by mistake or learned by the hard way, and it was just kind of an accident, but it's one of those things you learn from. When we no-tilled soybeans into the, the terminated cereal rye, for a lot of that, we actually took off as a forage and wet-wrapped, and we assumed that it was terminated, but uh, it came back much stronger than expected into Liberty Link beans. Liberty's not a very good grass killer, and so we had to use a selective grass herbicide as an additional second pass. So what have you learned from all of that? Basically, uh, if you're going to be planting soybeans into a a rye or a cereal rye like that that you've used for a forage source to make sure that you're probably using a, a Roundup Ready 2 or Extends platform. How would these rescue treatments, how would they affect cover crop establishment? A rescue treatment such as a late post or a late residual, you need to be worried about the length of time that that residual is going to carry and how long it, it goes into when you'd be establishing your said cover crop. Specifically, the parameters that would vary year by year is your amount of rainfall and the ability of that chemistry to break down. So your temperature, soil temperature, and the breakdown of that chemistry. Brian, I often hear from producers who use cover crops that they themselves, the cover crops themselves, help suppress weeds. What kind of results do you get there? That can definitely happen. We haven't used it a lot for that specific purpose. I did have a good couple of fields back in uh, 2016 of solid crimson clover on some continuous no-till ground that's usually beans after beans. And it was amazing the kind of weed suppressant that that full canopy of crimson clover had. You couldn't find a pigweed if you look for one. 
Is this one of those side benefits that just kind of goes along with it? Exactly. It's one of the byproducts that's not the primary focus, but it can be beneficial. I understand also that you've been named to the Soybean Advisory Committee on the Missouri Farm Bureau Federation Board. Yes, something I am also try to be active in. Like a lot of the leaders in the Soil Health Partnership talk about, we need to tell our story. And so uh, continuing to be active on a, a farm organization that helps both in the political arena, but also in your local community to be a, a local contact or a link between that gap uh, from generations removed from the farm. It sounds like you're discovering things with these cover crops as you go on and on. So what's in the future? What are you excited about in the future? For us personally or our operation, uh, we farm on a lot of uh, clay pan soils. That's very common to central and northeast Missouri. And so I'd sure love to see some documented improvements in water infiltration rates, aggregate stability, and soil structure. Thanks for joining us for Soil Smart. To find more podcasts and information from the Soil Health Partnership, go to SoilHealthPartnership.org or subscribe through iTunes or Google Play.